You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this Sunday. We've gathered together all the fellowships of the English Ministry and, and other to come to worship you, to focus on you. As we go through your word, through the story, reveal to us what you would want us to learn. Individually, as we are following you each day at our school or at our work or at our family or wherever we go, but also corporately as a church. And Lord, as we go through uh, the story of the wilderness wanderings, teach us what you will for us individually and as a group. Lord, we pray, Father, for the needs of our church. I pray, Father, for all of us that you would provide what you would desire for us to grow at wherever we are in our lives. And Father, some of that may come in the blessings of things that are good, and some of that may also come in blessings that are things uh, that may require some hardship and suffering. But we know, Father, that you want us to be more Christ-like, and you care more about how we look in terms of being like Jesus than just being comfortable. So Lord, push us and draw us to a further, deeper relationship with you and to be stronger, more robust Christians. Lord, we pray for our community and we pray for our nation. As many of us are registered to vote, I pray that you would guide us with your wisdom uh, to vote the right way and that we would go to the polls in uh, the first week of uh, November. Um, Thank you for the freedoms that you give us here in this uh, society and this land of America where everyone can uh, have a vote and everyone can have a say. And we thank you, Lord, for the religious freedoms that we have to come here and just freely worship you the way you want. And Lord, with that note, help us, Lord, to worship you biblically. Guide us as we read your word. Help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. We thank you, Father, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to start with the video of the story, uh, chapter 6, or part 6. Frustrated. 
What a way to end the story by Moses died. <laughs> I want to ask you a question. How many of you enjoy family road trips? All right, how many of you have kids? All right, they're at the age of being able to enjoy road trips, right? Uh, how many of your kids actually enjoy those road trips? Okay. Now, there's a lot of classical things during road trips that actually happen. I remember when I was a kid, we had this thing called the brown boat. And what it was was an Oldsmobile, old-style station wagon, probably as long as two regular cars today. And what was cool about this old-style station wagon was that the back wasn't a trunk. I mean, it could be a trunk, but the back was actually a seat that faced backwards and can contain three people. So you can actually sit there and look backwards at the cars that were behind you. And I remember me, me and my brother Leon would have the most fun because we could have sat in the front seat, we could, sit, could have sat in the middle seats, but we wanted to sit in the back seat because we can have our own little talk together and we can do whatever we want together. We can make signs and funny faces at the cars behind us and they would say hi to us. Um, at times where, where it wasn't dangerous to do so, we, would, we actually had control the back, the trunk, the window of the trunk in the back, the face of the back, you can actually control the window so it can open. You see how dangerous it was back in the 80s. I mean, literally, a kid can just jump out of the window if they wanted to. So we opened it about like two or three inches, and we made paper wads and threw it out over there. Yeah, okay, that, that probably wasn't the safest thing to do for the cars behind us. But it was just so fun. But here's one thing that I know a lot of us, especially those of us who are drivers, don't like to hear is... The dreaded words, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When can we actually get there, right? Well, leading Israel was like that, herding cats. Moses had over a million kids on this road trip who were complaining and asking, are we there yet? Now, of course, they didn't say those very words, but they said words that were like that, that was synonymous to, are we there yet? The hard thing about road trips with little kids is they're fussing, they're fighting, and they're endless questioning. Another hard thing about road trips is taking a wrong turn and getting lost on the way to the destination. And if you're a guy being the one to say, we're not lost, we're just taking the long way around. I know where we're going. I mean, en enjoy the sights and sounds. This is a road trip. The destination is not actually the only part of the trip. It's also the trip itself. By the way, ladies, when guys say that, 50% of the time, it's because they're lost, and they don't actually believe it. They're just trying to cover themselves and trying not to look embarrassed or, or be shamed. But every trip includes the destination as well as the trip itself across the terrain. So thankfully today, we have, you know, GPS, we have our smartphones, and different types of maps, AAA. I remember we used to use the Thomas Guide. I still have the Thomas Guide. I love Thomas Guides for their detail to help us to travel to our destination. So in the story, we come to the wanderings of Israel as Moses leads them towards the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And we see that just like road trips today with Moses, what Moses experienced was not very much different. Now if we can keep this slide over here, here's a professional map of actually what happened uh, produced by uh, professional cartographers. And the wanderings happened around 1400 to 1500 BC. Uh, it's about uh, 3,500 years ago. And I love how these professionals drew the map because the way it's all scribbled and sort of wandering and going in circles is sort of 
reflective of the emotional life and the reality of what was going on after Moses got the law and two years after being at Mount Sinai, went off triumphantly to conquer the promised land. But instead, it was an emotional squibbles and going around in circles and circles. And it begs the question, why was it like this? So they started in Goshen on the top left. They went down and crossed the Sea of Reeds. They go down all the way to the southern tip right there where Mount Sinai was. And they were now ready to enter the promised land, which only takes about one to two months to reach. So they're now at Kadesh Barnea, the entrance to the promised land, and something happens. And they take 40 years instead of just one to two months to be able to reach there. Now, of course, those of us that have seen the video that we just saw know what happened. Those of us who were raised at church, went to all the VBSs and all the Sunday schools, know what happened. But for some of us, we don't know. And it's always a good reminder to know what happened. Well, what happened was this. They complained. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? When can we get there? Why do we even have to go on this trip? Why couldn't we just stay at home where we could play video games? Where we can just eat whatever we wanted to eat rather than have to go to McDonald's or go to the, get this weird road food? Or for those of our parents who are vegetarians, have to eat veggies all the time. Are we there yet? Maybe we shouldn't even go there. Maybe we should just stay at home. Well, Israel had three main types of complaints that they gave to Moses. Now, what is interesting here is that when we read through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, we see that when the Israelites complain against Moses, God also hears the complaints. And God does not see the complaint against Moses as just a complaint against Moses. Moses. Why? Because Moses is playing the part of the covenant mediator, meaning that he is the person that is representing God there. And so when people complain against Moses, God takes it personally. It's a complaint not just to Moses, but it's a complaint to God. So the first type of complaint is the complaint about the general hardship of the trip. Things such as, why do we have to suffer and go thirsty. Where's all of the water? The water that we could have had if we just, just stayed in Egypt. How about all this? Why are we going hungry? We could have had so many different types of food if we just had stayed in Egypt. The second type of complaint was complaint of the lack of variety of food and the lack of variety of drink. Yes, of course, although we were slaves in Egypt, and that's not a good thing, at least we didn't have to just eat manna, 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 manna every day. And then afterwards, at least we didn't just have to eat quail, 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 quail every day. We had some variety of food and some variety of drink that we can have if we just stayed in Egypt. But no, we have to be out here in the hot desert and we don't have this variety anymore. And last but not least, and probably the worst of the complaints, was that even Moses' most loyal leaders, lieutenants, his own family members started complaining against God and against him. Miriam and Aaron, Moses' sister and brother, complains about Moses being the driver in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. And what is their complaint? Their complaint is this. Hey, you guys, look, I'm Miriam. I'm married to a full-blooded Hebrew person. I'm Aaron, I'm married to a full-blooded Hebrew, but Moses, he's married to a non-Hebrew. How can he lead us? 
maybe he shouldn't be the only leader. Maybe I should be the leader. Or maybe there should be other leaders instead of Moses. And they got severely punished for that. But these were the types of complaint that went around and around. How many times did they complain against God and Moses? Not just once, twice, three times, but at least 14 recorded times in the Bible. And remember, when you read the narratives in the Bible, usually it's a summary, right? Because each time they complain, it wasn't just, oh, we should have been back in Egypt where there was more food. Okay, let's move on. It was complain. You know how complaints are. Then it spreads into rumors and gossip and slander and libel and complain after complaint. So probably, although it was 14 recorded times, it was probably hundreds of complaints, the hundreds of complaints. And for those of you who have read through this part of the story, you're tempted to think, wow, God is so mean. The way he punishes, why does he need to punish that way? But we forget that God only starts disciplining his people after the fifth complaint. And so he doesn't do anything. He just gives grace and mercy to Israel. But after the fifth complaint, okay, it's time to start disciplining because this is just way out of hand and they're not appreciating what I have done for my people and also through Moses. Now where Israel takes a seriously dangerous and wrong turn, beyond the complaints, the most major of all of the complaints is at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers chapter 13 to 14. And this is the story of those 12 spies, if you remember. 12 spies are sent, one from each tribe, because there are 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Jacob, to surveil the promised land and to see what this promised land is like. And so they go for 40 days and survey the entire land as, as scouts. They come back, and then they give a report. Ten spies report about the abundance of the land, but also the giants who live there and conclude we cannot take this land. And it's true. If you remember the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was probably a descendant of Anak, which was mentioned right here. The descendants of Anak are here. We can't surely take this land. So it wasn't just Goliath was the only odd giant out of the Philistines, but there was a tribe full of people that were that size back in that day in the land of Gaza, in the land of the Philistine area. So there was actually a tribe of people that were like Goliath. The Anakites were there. How can we go against them? How can we take this land? Now, out of the 12, although those 10 gave a negative report, there were two that gave a positive report. Caleb and Joshua reported the same thing, that there are giants there, and the land is flowing with milk and honey, but concluded, because God is with us, we can take the land. And we find that in Numbers 13.30. And you think after all that they've seen, all 12 of these people and beyond who they were representing, they would have the same type of faith and the same type of desire that Joshua and Caleb had. Because they saw God physically open the Red Sea and then have it collapse shut upon the Egyptian army. They saw all of the miracles that happened in order to save themselves by God's hand. And so you would think that this report that Joshua and Caleb gave would motivate them and would inspire them and change their minds. But instead, it went the opposite direction. Because of human nature, people are who they are. They usually think negatively. Instead, 
they wanted to stone them for such an idea. So after Moses urges the people to trust God and take the land, the people rebel and they refuse to obey. This wrong turn takes place as Kadesh Barnea, which is ironically located on the border and entrance to the promised land. And then Moses reports God's heavy-duty judgment on the people's lack of faith in Numbers chapter 14. And what is that judgment? Well, you're going to then wander in the wilderness for 40 years. All of you will die except for Caleb and Joshua, but your kids, the next generation, they will be the one to partake in the promised land. And this is what Numbers 14, 26 to 35 specifically says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you saying. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land, I swore, with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in the desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explore the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in the desert. Here they will die. Well, pretty heavy stuff. Pretty heavy stuff here. So as you can see, it was Israel's lack of trust in and disobedience to God that creates this 40-year detour. So this detour, in summary, meant that only their children would enter into the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. They would also enter. So you have Joshua and Caleb being the leaders of this, along with Moses. And we find out that Moses actually doesn't make it because of something that happens, as we saw in the video. But it would be Joshua and Caleb who would be the main advisors for the second generation, the next generation that would go in, because this current generation shall be punished for their sins by dying in the wilderness wanderings. And then after 40 years of wandering, they again end up where they began, back at Kadesh, Barnea. Again, they're at that point where they're able to finally go in at the entrance point of the promised land. Now, let me remind you again, according to the map, with over a million people walking from Mount Sinai to the area of Jerusalem, it should only have taken one to two months to get there. That's only about 150 to 200 miles. It should only have taken, with the slow time that it would have taken to, to caravan a million people with women and children, elderly, it should have only taken one to two months. But because of their sin, God allowed them to pass and have their, their children take the land. It took over 40 years. And finally, at the end of this whole drama, this whole tobacco, in Deuteronomy 32 to 33, we have Moses' grand farewell speech at this entrance point 
to the promised land at Kadesh Barnea. And unfortunately, here before the people of Israel, Moses also failed to trust God. At that point, the Israelites complain again, we don't have water, give us water. So Moses goes to the Lord, and the Lord said, go ahead and speak to this certain point at that mountain, and then I will have water to gush out. And in anger, instead of speaking to that place in the mountain, that rock, he takes his staff and just hits it. He hits it in anger. And as a result, God says, you know what? You will be disciplined for that because of lack of faith. In anger, you hit this rock for the water to come out instead of speaking to it. So you will be able to see the promised land that I will give to everyone, but you will not be able to enter it. And so the Israelites got their water, but Moses had disqualified himself for entrance. And as a result of Moses' disobedience, he is allowed again to see the promised land, but not to lead the people in it. It would be Joshua and Caleb who would do that. And we find that in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Now in his grand Pharaoh speech, Moses blesses Israel, he blesses the different tribes, and encourages them to choose life. They've already seen all the death around them. They've seen the previous generation, their fathers, their mothers, pass on. And now he asks them to choose life, to obey and trust God, the covenant that God has given him, to not complain, to not grumble. Moses tells the people that they have a fresh opportunity to trust and obey God, who is their divine GPS on this road trip. Moses tells the people that they are not alone. God is with them. Now, here's an interesting side note. When we look at the different complaints and the grumblings that the Israelites had, after the 14th complaint, God actually gives them a way out. He asks them to do something, which is really, really weird. And if you didn't read the New Testament, you would wonder, why did God do this? That would actually save them from dying. And it was a story of Moses being asked to make a pole and put a snake on it so that if everyone looks at that snake, they would be saved from any of the poison they would get from the bites of the snakes that were biting them because of the judgment of God. Why? This is weird. Why, right? It's such a peculiar thing. And let me read the story. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 4, it says, They, the Israelites, traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go to Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at that bronze snake, they lived. Now, if you look at the next slide, you have on the left, Moses holding up a pole uh, with the bronze snake that he made, and everyone who looked at that snake would live. And then if you look at the right, you have Jesus Christ who was up on a brown wooden cross, and this is 1,500 
years later, and those who would look at him and believe in what he did for them on the cross will be saved. Now, some people would say, oh, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're just guessing, right? This is, what is this what is Moses doing that have anything to do with Jesus? Like, Peter, you're just, you're so weird. Well, that's, it's not really that weird. If you call me weird, then you're calling Jesus weird because Jesus himself wrote and said that what Moses did right there was to point to himself, that anyone who would believe in him, like they believed and looked at the snake, would live, would have life from the poison of sin. If you go to John chapter 3, starting from verse 13, Here's Jesus speaking, and he says this, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a reference to Jesus. The Son of God is also a reference to Jesus. Both of those things, by the way, are not the same thing. They're two different references, but they're all referencing the same person, Jesus Christ. Now check out verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so we see even the wilderness wanderings, as useless as it seemed and as frivolous as it seemed and, and, and as a failure as it seemed, that there was Christological significance in it. And even through that, we can see that salvation is still found in the Lord, where there was something that happened which foreshadows the death and resurrection of Jesus. And anyone who looks at Jesus, just as they looked at the snake, will be saved. And then we're introduced to the most popular verse in modern Christianity, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And my challenge to those of you who are not yet Christian or who are teeter-tottering, borderline Christian on the fence is have you put your faith in Jesus yet? Because like the people who were bit by the poison snake in the wilderness back in the time of the wilderness wanderings, they had to look at that cross with the snake on it to be saved. And for us, we need to look at the cross and believe in the Jesus that was hung on it and rose from the dead in order to save us from the poison of the sin that has beset us. Have you put your faith in Jesus yet to be saved from the poison of your sin? Here are some concluding thoughts. You are the driver of a car, and people follow where you go. And on this road trip called life, you will trust and obey God knowing that God will never lead you into a wrong turn. And the suffering you may go through in this life will have a divine purpose because you're obeying God at each turn. Or you can take your eyes off of the GPS and go your own way and wander and suffer unnecessarily and complain. Now we have heard the voice of God through Moses. Let us choose life in God through Christ and continual obedience rather than continue to wander and be lost. Let's pray.